So we are continuing to work our way through the Christmas story and this series that we started last Sunday titled Good News, and we see just the good news of the Christmas story and uh, of all that's surrounded through these different characters and different, different people in the story. And um, as we look at this season, the season of Advent, um, this, this word Advent, again, is, is a word that we throw out a lot, we hear it a lot, and sometimes sit back and be like, and what does it really mean? Right? The, the word Advent is the Latin word for coming. And what this season is, is we are celebrating the coming of the Christ child. Right? We are waiting in anticipation in Advent right, for the ultimate gift of Christmas. And as we, as we celebrate that coming, and as we light the different candles, and as we work our way up to Christmas Day, right, we have lots of celebrations and traditions and parties and gatherings and, and all kinds of things that we partake in. And, and those are all great things and things that we can all enjoy again and, and, and engage into with our families and our friends and our community. And one of the things that we participate in as a church every year as a part of our movement, our Church of God movement, is we call the Christ Birthday Offering. And as a part of our Christmas celebration every year, we just challenge you to set aside a part of your Christmas giving right, for this special offering called the Christ Birthday Offering. Saying as we go through again and, and buy gifts for all of our family and friends and all of these different things, can we set a portion aside again for, for God and for his purposes? Um, we will take this offering on December 22nd, so a couple weeks away. It is a special offering, so it, it is not, um, it'll be in addition to our regular gifts, ties. Uh, and offerings that we give to the church. And this offering, this Christ's birthday offering, does not stay with our church. It is this, all the money that's collected for Christ's birthday offering will be sent onto our national office and distributed in a few different ways, ultimately around the world, through Church of God Ministries. Now, if you have more, uh, want more information on exactly where the money goes and what it does, there, that information is available for you at the Info Center. I encourage you to look at that. But again, I challenge all of us as a faith community to set aside a little bit of our Christmas giving, right, for this special offering. Um, and again, it, it, it's in addition to our regular offering that for our church, and this will not stay with our church. Again, as we continue through um, this Christmas story and looking at these different characters and their different roles within the Christmas story, last week we started with Joseph and, and his role. Right in the story, and 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 last week we lit the candle of hope, and our theme for last week was that how hope believes yes when the circumstances say no, and we saw how Joseph, right, and all these kind of circumstances he was hit with, uh, said all kinds of no's in his life, and yet he he faced these unexpected circumstances, these tough situations, and yet he still embraced Jesus, he still found hope where it incredibly seemed hopeless. And now today, this week's theme is love. We've lit the candle of love this morning. And our theme for this series um, and our message this morning is how love lives courageously when life gets tough. How love lives courageously when life gets tough. I said last week we focused on Joseph. This week we are going to focus on Mary. 
And why did God choose Mary? Why did, how did Mary able to rise above the, the, the situation and, and the struggles? Because for Mary, life got tough really quickly. And yet she was able to live courageously and live into everything that God had called her to right, and asked her to do. And so we're going to dive into to Mary's role and, and part of the story this morning. So our text we're going to uh, use this morning comes out of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles that you're welcome to use in the seats, and you'll notice on the outline is the page number of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. So as we open up to Luke chapter 1, um, we're going to start off uh, at verse 26, where, where we see Mary kind of jump into the story. Now, before we do that, though, I just want to point out that in Luke's version of the Christmas story, okay, it, it's not just Mary and Joseph's story that is, that's here. It's, it's intertwined with another story, with another miracle birth, okay, and a, a relative of Mary. Okay, and this is the, the birth and the miracle of John the Baptist, Okay, now, John's parents' names was Elizabeth and Zechariah. Okay, and Mary's story with, with Jesus and Elizabeth and Zechariah with John the Baptist is, is intertwined in the Gospel of Luke. It bounces back and forth between the two stories. Okay, so we, we first start off with, again, the birth of John the Baptist as it's foretold. And as Elizabeth and Zechariah get the news that they are going to have this, this baby that is going to be John the Baptist. And then we enter at verse 26, okay, where, um, where we first are introduced to Mary. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, where it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. As we read this, this uh, interaction that Mary has with, with this angel, we can kind of imagine Mary in this, in this moment, in this situation. I mean, here, here's Mary, this, as we saw last week, tip, probably, typically a teenager, just starting out in her life, and, and she's engaged to be married. This, she's got all these plans. Everything is, is set. Things are going very well for her. And then an angel shows up. Right? And you can only imagine what Mary 
uh, is wondering in this moment, I mean, as, as our theme for the series is good news, I can imagine Mary sitting back and being like, this doesn't seem like very good news. Right? Because her life is about to take a drastic turn. Again, not, obviously, not, not just the fact that she is pregnant, right, or going to be pregnant, as the angel's telling her, but, but also all of the tough conversations and the, the awkward situations and, and the, the rumors and, and the gossip and all that's going to suddenly be thrust into her life. And she is sitting back, kind of contemplating all of this and wondering, is this really good news? Because I'm sure she was not so sure. Right, and yet, at, at the end of this passage, in verse 38, the very last sentence of, of what we read today, there's this very significant sentence. And, and many times as we go through the story, there's, we, kind of, we just read over it, we just move on, and we never really think about the fact that at the end of this passage, right after this interaction he has with the angel, there's this, this short yet incredibly significant sentence where it says, and then the angel left her. Again, this angel shows up, right, which is, is shocking enough, right, and, and again, brings all these kind of emotions out of Mary, and then the news that the angel gives, right, is, is shocking, is more shocking than the miracle of an angel showing up in front of her. And then the angel leaves, and Mary is left to deal with all of the ramifications. She has this, this news from God that, that she hopes is good, and then silence. And she's alone. And she's faced with, with some hard conversations and some explanations to Joseph and to, to family members and, and to those around, and, and the angel's gone. And what is Mary going to do next? Again, we, we understand that in this moment that, that, that Mary's sitting here going like, wow, life is going to get really tough. As the weight of this news kind of starts to settle in. And yet we, we already see the initial reaction of Mary when the angel shows up, right? The initial reaction that Mary had Okay, as verses 29 and 30 tell us, was, was that confused and disturbed as Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. Again, her initial reaction was one of confusion, one, one that was very unsettling. Why is an angel showing up in front of me? Right, is this, this, this miraculous interaction, but yet it was disturbing and it was confusing to Mary. In fact, we, we even see later in the passage, she, she asked this question, right, of, of the angel, like, well, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. I mean, she's sitting back going like, um, yeah, I might be young, but I know how babies come into the world. And, and I'm, how is this going to work? Because I'm a virgin. Right? Not only is she confused about the logistics of how this is going to happen, but I'm sure there was just question after question flooding into Mary's mind. And the more she thought about it and the more questions she had, the, the more disturbed I'm sure she became. And yet, look, look at, at again, the, the encouragement of the angel. I mean, after 
again, sees this look on her face, and then the angel responds by telling Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. Again, she had this this initial reaction, which I'm sure probably played out more in her life, of a reaction of fear. And and the the first thing we learn from Mary and from this interaction with this angel is, is the fact that fear will manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Now, obviously for Mary, right, it manifested in confusion and being disturbed. She sits back again as we see as she's kind of working through this and, you know, thinking through the logistics of how this is happening and, and all the ramifications of this. And, and again, this fear just kind of sets into her life. And, you know, maybe for you, fear doesn't look like confusion and being disturbed. Maybe, maybe for you, fear manifests itself in anger. Is a pretty common way for a lot of people how fear manifests itself. And even for others, it's, you know, it's this, this fight or flight reaction, right, to fear. And maybe yours isn't the fight, the anger, the fight. Maybe yours is, is to run and hide. And yet, even for others, the, the fear manifests itself in, in, in over-controlling a situation and stressing over every minute detail. But again, I don't know how fear manifests itself in your life, but yet we take all these reactions and we boil them down to what's, what's really causing these reactions in our life, and it all comes back to fear. Which is exactly what the angel calls out in Mary's life and says, again, the angel could see it on her face and could, could sense her demeanor of, of Mary is, is scared to the very core of who she is. And the angel tells her, Mary, do not be afraid. And then the angel tells her why she shouldn't be afraid. Again, he tells her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God, Mary. You don't have to be afraid. Is this a tough situation? Absolutely. Is, is there some hard conversations in front of you? Yep. Are there lots of details that, that you're not really quite sure how they're going to work out? Yeah, yeah. But Mary, God loves you. You, you found favor with God. He, his presence is with you. He's, he, he's with you no matter what. Right? God loves you, Mary. And, and as, as we know how, how gripping fear can be as it manifests itself in all these different ways in our lives, the next thing we learn from Mary is that fear is overcome with love. Again, the angel's encouragement to Mary is, is Mary, you're, you're loved by God. You don't have to be afraid. All right, Mary, you've, you've passed the test. God chose you. You are favored in God's eyes. He loves you. Again, as we see this, this concept of love and even God's love, this, this perfect love that can only come from God, this, this agape love. 
is exactly what John speaks to in his first letter. In, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's fear punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And we love each other because he loves us first. In perfect love that, that only comes from God overcomes any fear we have in our life. I mean, we see that, right? And, and then it also gives us motivation to, to not just receive that love from God, that perfect love, but then to, to pass that on to other people. Right? We now have the, the ability to love because, well, God loves me first. Then we see Mary. How did Mary have the love for, for the Christ child to, to take on that, that challenge, to raise him, to to be with him, to be by his side through his entire life. I mean, we see that Mary never left Jesus. She, was, in fact, was at the cross when he died. Where did that kind of love come from? I mean, it, it's exactly what the angel tells her. Mary, you're loved by God. And because of that love, you, you can overcome everything. You can, you can take on the tough life situations that you're about to face. Because God loves you. And love overcomes fear. Again, fear is, is an incredibly powerful force. It often makes people look the other way from what's really happening around them. Fear keeps people from becoming everything that God wants them to become. And it also holds people back from taking courageous action in their life. But love is greater than fear. And we see that in Mary, and, and we see that in, in many other instances in the Christmas story. Right? The Christmas story is full of moments where, where love drives out fear. Again, how was Mary able to rise above the fear? Well, it's because she was loved. She was first, she was loved by God. Exactly what the angel tells her, but not only loved by God, but she was also loved by many other people. She was obviously loved by Joseph. She was also loved by Elizabeth and Zechariah. And then she was loved by the shepherds. She was loved by the magi. I mean, all of these Christmas story figures showed love to Mary as well as showing love to Jesus. Again, how was Mary able to rise above? There's, we see through the story, we see glimpses of, of, of how she was able to do this, how she takes God's love and, and rises above the fear. Hey, now, the, the first thing that we see that Mary does to rise above the fear in her life hey, is that she does it by submitting to God's call on her life. Okay, she submits to God's call on her life. Again, this, this angel shows up. She has this this miraculous interaction with an angel as this angel is, is, is telling her where her life is about to go and, and again, her initial reaction of fear and yet we see at the end of this passage, this interaction, right before the angel leaves, right, we see Mary's response to the angel. 
Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Can talk about living life with open hands. I mean, here, think about Mary's life up to this moment. Everything was going great. Like, right, her biggest concern was, was the marriage, right, and, and starting life well with Joseph and all these things. And then, and then the angel shows up and drops a bomb, right, on her life and thrusts her in this incredibly tough situation. And yet, her response as she works through this with the angel is, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. I will submit to the calling you've put on my life. Do I really want to do this? Probably not. Not the way Mary would have written her life story. Right? But she says, but if that's what God wants, and if he's chosen me and he loves me that much, then I'll do it. I'll do it. So she starts right rising above the fear by submitting to God's call in her life. Okay, now the, the, the next thing we see her do after, after the angel leaves and she's kind of sitting back like, now what do I do? And then the next thing she actually does is she goes to Elizabeth's and Zechariah's house to, I think part of it is trying to figure out, like, is the angel telling the truth? Well, the angel told me that, that Elizabeth is six months pregnant, so let's, I'm going to go find out. And so she does. She she goes then to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house, and she, she shows up right there. And, and as she walks into the house, as Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the Baptist, right? and, and we see in this, this next section of the scripture that when she shows up, right, the Holy Spirit has conceived the Christ child in her, literally probably days after this interaction with this angel. She shows up, and when she shows up there, Right? And then Elizabeth says that John the Baptist literally leaps in her womb at the presence of the Christ child. Right? Now this is one of the best passages in all of scripture that speaks to when life starts. Right? That life starts at conception. Because literally at days after the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and conceive the Christ child, Mary shows up and John the Baptist is worshiping in the womb. And so does Elizabeth. Right? And then we see this, this next thing that Elizabeth points out in Mary's life and how she rises above the fear. And that is that Mary puts her faith in God's power. Not in anything else. Her faith is in God's power. Because okay? again, at the end of this interaction, Elizabeth looks at her and she's, she's like, Mary, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Again, where is Mary's faith? It's not in herself. It's not in Joseph. It's not in any person or anything other than God. Again, she's sitting back. She literally even asked the question, I don't know how that is even physically possible that I could conceive a baby because I'm a virgin. And, and the angel just says, hey, God can do it. And she's like, all right. If God says he can do it, he can do it. Right? And her faith was in God and God alone. And that's exactly what Elizabeth points out in Mary. And because her faith was in the Lord, right, then she rises above that fear. Right? And her, again, faith was not in anything other than God. She put her entire faith 
in God's power. And then we see as she continues on in the story, and and this next section that we come to in Luke um, is Mary's response to all of this. Which leads us then to the next way that Mary rises above the fear, and she does that by keeping, um, keeping God the focus of her life. That God remains the focus of her life. Obviously, it was God was a pretty big focus of her life leading up to this moment, right? That's one of the reasons God chose her. And now we see as she she as God's plan is revealed in her life, and it wasn't what she was expecting at all, and yet God continues to be the focus of her life. We see this, this section of the Christmas story that oftentimes gets overlooked, but it's famously known as Mary's song. Okay, and it's right after, again, she kind of confirms this whole story with Elizabeth, and she sees that she's pregnant, and again, the testimony of John the Baptist sleeping in the womb, and this, you know, Mary encouraging her, and, and all these things. And then we see Mary's response, and I, I want to share just the first couple verses of Mary's song with us this morning in verses 46 and 48, which says, And Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Again, what is Mary's reaction to all of this? It is a reaction of praise and of worship to her God. Right? And God remains to be the focus of her life. And as she, she focuses on God and, and the calling that he's put in her life, and she's able to rise above all of the fear. Again, why? Because she is loved. And again, what do we learn from Mary is that we are loved by God as much as her. All throughout the Bible, we see that God's people have to make this choice. The same choice that Mary had to make, we see many other biblical characters have to make. They have to decide, am I going to fear people or love God? Am I going to fear people or am I going to love God? Because God asks all kinds of crazy things of his followers. Okay, and, and many biblical characters have to make this choice. Again, Moses could have feared the Egyptian king, but instead he chose to love, a love for God and a love for his own people. Again, Daniel could have chosen fear and fallen in line with all of the the dictates of the Babylonian captors, but yet he defied them and chose his love for God first. And as we see in the Christmas story, Joseph chose love for Mary and for God over concern for his own reputation. And Mary, again, chooses love for God over her fear of the circumstances she's faced with. These are just a few examples of of many in the Bible that, that chose the love of God over their fear of other people or of their situation. And these people show us, as well as many, even in our modern-day examples, that when love consumes us, then we are inspired to do the courageous and sometimes even the crazy. 
Yeah, we can sit back and look at Mary's life and, again, this calling that God puts on her through this angel and be like, that's pretty crazy. And it was. And yet God led her because of his love, enabled her to live fully into that call. Because when love consumes us, we are inspired to do the courageous, no matter how crazy it might seem. Like I said, Mary serves a great example, as well as many other biblical figures. But we also can see the courageous and the crazy, motivated by God's love, that can be displayed in many different ways in our world today, in other modern examples. As I say that, I want to share a couple more modern examples with you from our world. I want to start with the story of Irina Sindler. Okay, there are endless examples of courage buried in the ruins of the Holocaust, but Irina Sendler's story stands out. When the Nazis invaded her native Poland and rounded up all the Jews into a Walden ghetto, Sendler knew what was going to happen. She was a social worker, but she also qualified as a nurse, so she could sneak food and medicine into the ghettos. What she snuck out was even more phenomenal. It's estimated that Sendler helped get approximately 2,500 children out of the ghettos. She sedated them and placed them in the bottom of toolboxes or lying in burlap sacks at the bottom of her truck, and then sent them through a network of like-minded comrades to Christian orphanages, where they were then given new identities and new lives. She kept all of their real names in a jar buried in her backyard. And the Nazis eventually caught Sendler. They imprisoned her, tortured her, and broke both of her legs. When the war ended, she devoted herself to reuniting children with their families. And she loved these children more than she loved her own life. Next example is these four men. These four men are known as the Greensboro Four. In the fall of 1959, these four young men named Joseph McNeil, Franklin McCain, Ezel Blair Jr., and David Richmond enrolled as freshmen at North Carolina A&T University. The four young men quickly became a close-knit group and met every evening in their dorm rooms for what they called bull sessions. It was during these, highly, these nightly discussions that they considered challenging the institution of segregation. The breaking point for this group came after, uh, after Christmas vacation when Joseph McNeil was returning to North Carolina A&T after spending the holidays at his home in New York. McNeil was denied service at a Greyhound bus station in Greensboro. The group shared McNeil's frustrating experience, and they were willing to make the necessary sacrifices, even if it meant their own lives, to provoke change within society. On Monday, February 1st, 1960, Joseph McNeil, Franklin McCain, Azell Blair Jr., and David Richmond, later known as the Greensboro Four, entered the F.W. Woolworth store in Greensboro, North Carolina, about 4.30 p.m., and purchased merchandise at several counters. They then sat down at the store's whites-only lunch counter and ordered coffee and were denied service, ignored, and eventually asked to leave. They remained seated at the counter until the store closed early at 5 p.m., 
the four friends immediately returned to campus and recruited others for their cause. They came back the next day and the next, and word began to spread. The media showed up. The pressures intensified. People were arrested, but they kept coming back. Over five months later, Woolworth employees Charles Bess, Maddie Long, Susie Morrison, and Jamie Robinson were the first African Americans to eat at that lunch counter. The headline of the Greensboro record read, Lunch Counters Integrated Here. The Crest Counter opened to all on that same day. On Tuesday, July 26, 1960, F.W. Woolworth was officially desegregated. By August 1961, more than 70,000 people had participated in sit-ins, which resulted in more than 3,000 arrests. But the nonviolent protests of love for people and a way of life, like these sit-ins at whites-only lunch counters, inspired many other subsequent kneelings at segregated churches, sleep-ins at segregated motel lobbies, swim-ins at segregated pools, wait-ins at segregated beaches, read-ins at segregated libraries, play-ins at segregated parks, and watch-ins at segregated movies, and America would never be the same. And the last one, a story I want to share with you of the courageous and the crazy is the story of this woman. Her name is Abby Johnson. All Abby Johnson ever wanted to do was to help women. As one of the youngest Planned Parenthood clinic directors in the nation, she was involved in upwards of 22,000 abortions, and counseled countless women about their reproductive choices. Her passion surrounding a woman's right to choose even led her to become a spokesperson for Planned Parenthood, fighting to enact legislation for the cause she so deeply believed in. Until the day that she saw something that changed everything. She stepped in to help a short-staffed doctor at her clinic, and for the first time, she saw on the ultrasound screen a baby being aborted, struggling to evade the surgical equipment. And she rushed out of the room and burst into tears in the restroom. At that moment, the prayers of her parents and many others found fruition. And she decided to leave Planned Parenthood. She soon joined her former enemies at 40 Days for Life and has become one of the most ardent pro-life speakers in America. There's a particularly telling scene near the end of, of a movie when at the Planned Parenthood office in Bryn, Texas, um, was closed down. But before leaving the facility, pro-lifers tied a rose to the fence to honor those children who were never born. And she herself laments of her own two abortions and says, I'm sorry I didn't love you enough to protect you. She went on to form a nonprofit organization known as And Then There Were None, which helps abortion workers leave the industry. Now, these are three obviously extreme examples of how God used people who were motivated by love to change our world. But I want to extend the question to you as we see Mary's example and even the example of these modern day people in our world, is what is God asking you to do? Will God expel fear in your life and give you motivation to do not just the courageous, but maybe even something crazy? You might be thinking, results like these, that seems impossible. And yet, I'm sure that's exactly what Mary thought about this whole virgin birth idea. That seems impossible, which is 
why then the, the angel encouraged her in Luke chapter 1, verse 37 with these words. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And again, I'm giving you the King James Version on the screen, right? For God, nothing shall be impossible. The, the newer NLT Version, which is what is in this, this seat, um, the seat Bibles, translates this phrase as, for the word of God will never fail. But this, both translations are equally as accurate. Because with God, nothing is impossible, and when God speaks, it's going to happen. Because the word of God never fails. And again, how can we demonstrate God's love in our lives? It might be the courageous and the crazy, or it might be something incredibly simple. Because the truth is, we can share God's love in our world through very simple acts. Like helping somebody change their tire. Or serving at a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter. Or taking that difficult neighbor a Christmas present. Or praying with people. Or standing with people whom our society pushes away. I encourage all of us to start small right, and let God lead you on from there. Because the truth is we are all loved by God, just like Mary was. And will God's perfect love motivate us towards courageous action as it expels our fear? Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that the Christian faith should be dangerously unselfish. The famous Christian author, C.S. Lewis, encouraged Christians to forget about trying to decide if you should love someone, just act as if you do. And Jesus told us that true love will lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus lived into those words, right? As this Christ child that, that was born on Christmas grew up lived a sinless life, and then made the ultimate act of love that was wrapped in courage as Jesus went to the cross to die for you and for me. He was sent by God in the form of a human to show us what true love really means. And he showed us true courage in action. As he went to the cross, he was crucified. And then rose again on the third day to conquer death forever. And it is the ultimate act of love. Because what motivated Jesus, what motivated God to send him was, well, it's the same love that he had for Mary. It's the same love he has for us. Right? And it's that love that casts out all fear and, and inspires us to fulfill everything he calls us to do. He wanted us to know what love really looked like. A bold, valiant, and relentless love that literally will change our world.
So how will we respond to that love today? And it starts with, with receiving Christ as our Savior. I mean, receiving that ultimate gift. Right? And as we celebrate Christmas and as we give gifts and as we receive gifts, I hope that you will receive the most important gift, which is the gift of your salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And you do that by praying and, and confessing your sins and inviting him into your life and, and becoming a committed follower of Jesus. By faith, through grace. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that you would start that journey today. And if you have received Christ as your Savior, then how do we live out that love that we can experience from Christ every day? Right? And will we accept the call that he's put on our life? Will we rise above the fear? Will we, again, see and live out that love every day with every person we interact with? I hope we will. Which brings me to my final thought this morning, and that is this. Because we are loved by God, we have the courage to pass on love to others. So what crazy thing does God want you to do? Again, I have no idea what God's asking you to do. It might seem awfully crazy, or it might seem very simple. It might look like deciding to go on a mission trip when you've never gone on a mission trip before. Right? It might look like taking a tag off the angel tree. It might look like inviting a friend to come with you to church. I have no idea what crazy thing God's asking you to do. It might even be God's pursuing you and saying, you need to just accept me into your life and find salvation. I just hope that you will be true to whatever crazy thing God's calling you to do. Lord, why you love us so, we might not ever know, but Lord, we praise you and thank you because you do love us more than we can imagine. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that your love will motivate us God, to live courageously. God, to open our lives and our hearts to you to fulfill everything you ask of us, God. And that by being loved by you, Lord, we will show the world what love really is. Because God, this world so desperately needs you. And Lord, especially during this Christmas season, when people are more open to you than many other times, I pray, God, that they will see you in us. God, that we will shine your light in this dark world. And God, that we will love you back with everything we have and every moment we have. Lord, as we go this week, we thank you for loving us. And guide us, Lord, to, to show your love in every, everything we do. We love you. We praise you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.